This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 131-inch. On this week's episode, we interview Scott Talkerman, uh, I mean Scott Aukerman, host of Comedy Bang Bang. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Woo! What a trip! Yes, what a trip indeed. We just got home from our week-long adventure in sunny Los Angeles, and we have a lot to talk about. Oh yeah, well we will certainly give you the full recap of our trip in a future episode. Oh, but for right now, boy are our arms tired after that flight from Los Angeles. Yeah, they sure are. And also, again, we want to say a Big thank you to all of you for making all of our Weird Altober episodes with Weird Al Yankovic, four of our most listened to and most talked about episodes ever. Now our Patreon family can look forward to the full four-part interview coming to patreon.com slash 2000inch as one single interview. That'll be soon, and then you can listen to the whole thing without any pesky interruptions. And of course, by pesky interruptions, we mean interruptions by Ethan and I. We can't control your pesky pets or your pesky family or the pesky police when they come knocking on that door for you. And speaking of pesky interruptions, let's just skip this week in Weird Al related news for this week. And let's get right on to our big interview. Yes, our interview with Hot Soccer Mom. Um, Hot Saucerman. Ethan, a little help here, please. Dave and I are absolutely thrilled to welcome to the podcast. He's a writer, he's an actor, producer, podcaster, one-time taint model. You'll know him best as the host and creator of Comedy Bang Bang. Please welcome Scott Aukerman. How's it going, Scott? Hi, guys. Um, gosh, I have a wonderful introduction. If I could give notes, I would maybe call me a podcaster extraordinaire, but that's, I mean, that's a minor <laughs> quibble. <laughs> Soon to be on Mount Podmore, perhaps, you know? I mean, you could throw that in. I'll edit that in post. Don't worry. <laughs> Get that in there. Okay, thanks. If you need me to loop anything, I'll, you know, I can go to Burbank at a moment's notice. Get into a sound booth. Incredible. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, obviously, I think anyone who's a Weird Al fan will also be a fan of you and, and comedy bang bang i mean i doubt that you, you doubt that <laughs> we didn't find that to be true <laughs> we found that the same amount of people who watched the show before watched it when al was on we thought there might be a, a bump but no <laughs> i feel like people who are hardcore weird al fans may be already have been comedy bang bang fans maybe yeah there's definitely some crossover and and I, I, I do, I, I always thought it was really funny on one of Al's, on his last tour that he actually did the the parody songs and everything, I went to go see it in San Diego and, and he he showed a full sketch from Comedy Bang Bang that he was in 
um, the real food sketch, which yes. we both think is really funny, but it's just so yes. gratifying to watch a sketch that you've worked on each <gasps> in front of thousands and thousands of people. <laughs> there wasn't a good reaction. I feel like people were always laughing when I saw that played. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It probably depended on the town, but I saw it in San Diego and it, it, it got a collective shrug from most of the people there. By the way, each, each, that's a good parody of Eat It. Oh, wait, no, that's already a parody. Never mind. Hey, it can happen. You can still do it. Hey, you never know. We parodied one of Al's songs once. We parodied Spatula City, so you can do it. Mm. Spatula City. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. What, what was your parody? It was... That's Look, I know that's what you really wanted to tell me, so just go ahead and get to it. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's a unique one because it's not a song, but we got uh, the, the same guy who did the voiceover... For Special City, did it just promoting our podcast? Oh wow! Oh, that's cool. That's very. Oh, I was going to say that's cool, and I realized that it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's <was> very nerdy, <laughs> right? Right. I don't. I promise right you, term, I wouldn't lie yes. on this podcast. I, I took. I'm under oath right now. You, I s- got sworn in on a stack of Bibles, and it was a big stack. It, you get yeah. like you have a lot of Bibles, guys. I have to say. <laughs> it's a Weird Al podcast thing, you know. It's, just, it's one of our procedures. So I, I guess let's let's just start from the beginning. I have to assume that you were a fan of Weird Al before you started bringing him on your shows and and all that stuff. When did you first learn of Weird Al? So I grew up in Southern California uh, during the you know 1970s and 1980s. So I would say around 1980, I was listening to the doc, the Dr. Demento show on KMET out here. And so pretty, I mean, right around then, right. When did he come out with, uh, another one rides the bus? Was that 80, 80 or 81 somewhere around there? Yeah. 80, 80. Yeah. So I, I must've been there from the jump just from the Dr. Demento show. And I was 10 in 80. So that's like prime. Prime, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Demento, yeah. everything years, you know, like you're staying up late on a Sunday and listening to the radio and hoping that your parents don't walk in and hear. <laughs> um, so I have I have a few pretty distinct memories of, you know, being a fan and and, you know, really liking... Another one rides the bus, and then uh, Yoda, the original version of Yoda, and then in '83, right, his his first album came out, right. And so I have a very distinct memory of being in a Sam Goody uh, hmm. that I had never been to before and never been to since, um, <laughs> and seeing his first record there, the self titled record. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ricky, I think, had been being played on Dr. Demento. I didn't have MTV at the time, so I don't think I saw the video for a few years. But um, so I I picked it up immediately. I told my mom, you know, can I have this? Maybe I had an allowance at that point. I can't remember, but I bought it. Um, so I bought that then. And so then in 1984, when In 3D came out, I was super primed for <laughs> that to come out. Right. And... I, what I would do is I would go to Tower Records. I would go to Tower Records like, God, every few days, actually, you know, just to like look through stuff, see if there was anything new. But, but at the time when In 3D came out, I would go to Tower Records and I would, I would always go to the Weird Al section to see if a new single had come out because the singles had different 
uh, cover art where he actually was like parodying the the cover art of the single. So, for instance, on Eat It, he was in the Michael Jackson pose and it had the the cursive font of, of Eat It. And then King of Suede was a parody of the Police Synchronicity record. So I, I still have him. I got every single single that he ever put out, and I was always hoping, like, oh, man, maybe he'll put an unreleased B-side on one, which I don't think he ever did. Um, <laughs> so that was 1984, and then he, I think, I'm, I, I remember the ad in the L.A. Times for his concert very clearly, very vividly. I think he was at the Universal Amphitheater, but I'm not sure. And I asked my parents if I could go, and it was an unequivocal no. Whoa. Um, so, Why? so I missed the, I don't know. <laughs> wow. I don't know. I, th- I I don't think I'd been to my first real concert at the time. I'd been to like Christian rock concerts <laughs> up till then. My first like real concert was Oingo Boingo in 1985. So I think it was still a few months before they were going to allow me to do that on my own. I think I was in ninth grade maybe, or just going into the ninth grade. I can't remember. Um, I had also broken my foot that summer. Maybe that tied into it i have no idea um but yeah it was a no and so i was i i was always like bummed i don't know if he toured after that because um at least in the years that i was listening because then i got uh, dare to be stupid which i didn't like as much as 1984 or i mean in 3d I, i remember um because i just didn't think the singles were like i thought i thought I want a new duck was particularly like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> um, like a surgeon. Eh, it's okay. Um, really like the originals. Um, I remember I really wanted to, I would plan out like lip syncs for lip sync contests a lot in my mind. <laughs> um, at, at my high school, we had a lip sync contest every single year. And so the first year, uh, was one of the greatest greatest uh, lessons I ever learned in showbiz, which was I decided to lip sync Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Relax. No, Two Tribes. Sorry, Two Tribes. I, I, just, I just decided to do Frankie Goes to Hollywood in general <laughs> because they were super big at the time. Like, they had just come out. And so I decided, you know, and everyone was so primed for Frankie Goes to Hollywood because they were the biggest band ever right then. And so I decided because I didn't know anything really about performing all that much. I'd been in a few plays. I decided to do a, I decided to do the 10 minute long remix of two tribes because I thought that was cool of like, wow, it's so much longer. Isn't that cool? Like me as a music lover, it's, it's 10 minutes. Isn't that awesome? And the first five minutes were instrumental. And I decided to, to recreate, the video, which was uh, Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev wrestling, um, and where the first five minutes was just going to be them wrestling while I like l- watched them, and I, the booze started like <laughs> two minutes in, you know, at finally at the five minute mark where suddenly I started to lip sync. The curtain was pulled by the by the, <laughs> the people, and I was kicked off the stage. Oh man. <laughs> It was one of the greatest lessons I ever learned, and you have to learn it the hard way some somehow of like, oh no, short. <laughs> short is better. Brevity, <laughs> short. you know, ellipsis is wit, as The Simpsons said. Um, so, 
in any case, like I performed the three years after that. I, I remember I did a Dead Kennedys thing the next year, and I did. I remember one year where my, where my friend did um, the greatest, like stage spectacular of Devo's "Are We Not Men," where he had like a cast of fifteen people, <laughs> and he was a scientist. And there was a cheerleader like wearing crazy cheerleader things pointing at D-E-V-O on a chalkboard with her baton and doing baton tricks. And like <laughs> he was watering people in in potato costumes that, that then like got up. It was so great. <laughs> and he lost to the high school football team who was lip syncing the Super Bowl shuffle, oh, um, no. which was was terrible. But uh, So I did it every year, but in my mind getting back to Weird Al, in my mind, I was always planning out different lip syncs that I would do. And if I really got, you know, like fascinated with a certain song, I would think about what the lip sync would be and how I would stage it and all that. And so One More Minute was was one of the songs that I really wanted to do. I don't know if I'd seen the video and I was going to do it sort of like that. That's probably what it was. But I was like planning out getting a girl in the audience to come up and all this kind of stuff. I never ended up doing that one. Um, thank God, because people were still making fun of me for the Frankie Goes Hollywood one. I didn't need to then be a Weird Al nerd as well. Um, and then Johnny Dangerously came out in what, 85, I think, and and um, or 86. And I was like super into that because Al did the the soundtrack song and i remember yeah. being very disappointed that um that the single came out and it was it, it had a blank sleeve um i, I was very disappointed because i was collecting his singles i still think i bought it but it, it was a blank sleeve um i think it had like an ira newborn track on the back maybe or maybe that was the weird science single but um so i was still like in it in like 1986 or so um and then in 1987, I got a girlfriend, and so uh, that was about it. But uh, <laughs> no, I kid. Um, I did. I didn't really keep up with the records after that. I remember in in when um, "Smells Like Nirvana" came out. I thought that was really funny, um, but I never bought the record. Um, mm. And then around when did Pentiums come out? was 99 um that was 1999 or so yeah so then he uh al was playing at i gotta say it was the orange county fair and my friend and i decided to go um and have a good time so my friend warren fitzgerald from the vandals who played noigo boingo speaking of them um we went to go see them i think at the fair and i bought a all about the pentiums t-shirt which i still have um nice (laughs) And so that was my first, and it was kind of like a, oh, wow, I want to redeem the story from 1984 of my parents not allowing me to go. Um, I'm going to go see Weird Al. Um, And so we had a really good time. Um, And that was 1999. And then I think smash cut to uh, 2009 when I started the comedy, it was at the time, it was Comedy Death Ray Radio um, show at, at Indy 103. I remember asking Chris Hardwick, who I knew knew Al, um, if I could have his email because I wanted to invite him on the show. Um, we had never spoken before, and um, oh, wow. 
And I remember feeling like, oh, I bet Chris says no, or let me talk to Al first, or, you know, like the the normal kind of stuff that you do when like, you know, a famous person and someone goes, can I get their email, you know? (laughs) And like Chris immediately was like, yeah, sure, here it is. (laughs) And just gave it to me, (laughs) Um, which which is not a, a knock on Chris, I think as much as it was like, I was surprised that Al was so accessible, if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I reached out to Al and, and, and asked if he would do the, the podcast, or at the time it was just a radio show and a podcast, I guess. But, um, and he immediately said yes. So, and I treated it like I was, you know, Frost interviewing Nixon or something. I, I, I like reached <laughs> into the crevices and crevasses of my mind, just like, listening to all of his old records and thinking up questions that I would ask that I'd always wanted to ask him. I, I remember I asked him really like, um, you can still hear it on the, on that episode. I feel like it's episode six or eight or something like that. But yeah. I, I asked some like really in-depth questions about like on, um, what's his parody of the crash test dummy song? Uh, uh, headline yeah. news yeah. on, right. on headline news. I notice in the instrumental section you're doing the hand farts as well as like a little accordion flourish. Was that your way with the box set of ending that chapter of your musical career? Because you've never used the hand farts in the in the accordion ever again. In, in you know in your in your mainstream pop parodies and and I don't know. Okay, so like Al is as I've gotten to know him is, is I think he's semi protective of what he says about stuff in public. And he doesn't like ever really, as far as I know, in an, in an interview, just let it rip and say what he actually feels about things. You know, um, I don't know if he did on this show, but, um, but I remember (laughs) him just kind of looking at me with either like, why are you asking me this? Or, um, (laughs) Or de- or deflecting, and and I remember me not getting the answers I wanted <laughs> in a lot of cases oh, no. <laughs> because because he didn't want to say things like that publicly or whatever. Right. But in any case, so we, so I really enjoyed. Um, I know this is the longest answer to one question, um, but but this is your show, right? <laughs> this is I, our like, show. This is what it's about. Okay. Yeah. Exactly what so, our show is. Okay. So I I had a really good conversation with him then. Really enjoyed meeting him. He was very gracious and very cool and put me at ease. And I, you know, I think I, I think maybe that was, I was generally nervous during, you know, in the early episodes of that show anyway, but I, he put me at ease definitely um, because I think he might've been the first person who was on the show that I didn't know. Um, But he was great. I really enjoyed it. And, and then, um, so I think probably maybe a couple months later, I got an email from him that he was doing another show at the Orange County Fair, this time at the Pacific Amphitheater, um, as well as he was premiering his movie, uh, Al's Brain, at the same time, and he wanted to know if I would come to the premiere of the movie and to see his show afterwards. And I was like, huh? Me? (laughs) 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 Yeah, sure. So, and, and then... We went down and it was it was very cool. He had invited a bunch of like alt comedy people, like uh, I remember John Daly was there and Eric Appel and and a bunch of people and we all saw each other there. Like, oh, you're here too, and it was just like, um, and and the Orange County Fair had shut down the entire fair and opened it only to us. I think. Wow. Um, 
and all of the food I remember was all free. They all of the vendors came out and would make you, you know, breaded, fried, whatever for free and everything. <laughs> um, and it was just so so magical and so cool. And then we we got to see the the show. Um, and it was totally different than the previous show I'd seen because I think the previous show I'd seen was, um, it was out in the middle of more of a field or something. And I don't think it was, I, I can't really remember, but I remember this being more of a, like an extravaganza with him changing costumes a lot and the video screens and all that. So really blown away by that. And um, yeah, so I don't know. It just was like, it was a very gracious gesture of him to invite kind of a comedy nobody to to see his show. Um and it, it was then that I learned that he was really a comedy fan, you know? He yeah. was really, like, not someone who's one of these comedians who gets famous and then only knows people of a similar level of fame, you know? Um, he really was someone who had an appreciation for good comedy and, and um, really liked the kind of stuff that I was involved in. And so it... it, it turned into a, a friendship after that. Wow. That's incredible. And I, I was curious when you actually did reach out to him that first time, were you pitching yourself? Like I wrote on Mr. Show, I, you know, like that kind of stuff. And is that what I could probably find the it? email actually? Oh, okay. Let me see. <laughs> Let me see. Do you want me to give you his private email address? By the way, I could do that too. If you <laughs> pull a hard wick for us. <laughs> Uh-oh, one to 50 of many. That's a, like Uh-oh. Google won't even tell me how many I have. <laughs> um, let me go back to the, the, the nines to the as, as we speak. <laughs> yeah, but um, I don't, rec- yeah, I don't recall. I'm looking for it right now, but uh, yeah. I'm just curious because, I mean, that's such a cool, that's such a cool thing for him to come out and, and do this interview. And, you know, I mean, that's just, that's such a, it's an Al thing. I mean, knowing Al and, and having seen how he's reacted to stuff. I mean, that's an, a very Al thing, but I, I'm just so curious if it was just like a, because he loved Mr. Show or, or just because Chris recommended you or. Right. The earliest email I have from him was, uh, is, is a little later than that. It's, it's probably, it's like seven months later. We must've like become friends at that point because, <laughs> Um, oh yeah, because, because I had asked him to do, um, these benefit shows that we were doing at the UCB. So we would do these holiday benefits to benefit the LA food bank that were like these crazy lineups for like a a 150 seat theater of, you know, huge comedians. I remember Tenacious D headline one year and like Louis CK, uh, the disgraced Louis CK <laughs> was there. <laughs> so the, the earliest email I have from him right now is just, just kind of about him donating like rare things for the charity auction that How we cool. were doing and, and him sending oh, cool. like a, a picture of his family to me. And this is like like five months after I met him. Um, <laughs> he's sending me like Christmas cards and stuff like that. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, just super nice. Always donating his time and, and, you know, resources to do stuff like that. It's incredible. And did you ask Al to perform at any of those uh, comedy benefits? Yeah, he, you know, he would, um, the, the first the first thing that, well, no, that wasn't the first thing I, I do like a couple of the ones at the UCB, he would do stuff like, Oh, I, I do remember one of that first year. Yes. That's what it was. The first year he, he agreed to be 
on the charity single that we put out, the re-recording of Do Do They Know It's Christmas. Um, So he was on that, and he came and sang and was in the video. Um, And then the next year, he was on the We Are The World uh, re-recording that we did with comedians um, and was in the video and everything. And then um, I remember one particular charity benefit that we did. We... We were trying to get as much money as we could, and there's only 150 seats, so it's like, right, um, you know, and you're selling. I, I can't remember how much. It, I think it was twenty five dollars or something a seat uh, or a ticket. Wow. Because we didn't want it to make it so expensive that like regular people, fans of the show, couldn't go. You know, but so but but we were trying to figure out tiers and systems for people who did have money in order, like special things in order for them to be able to donate more money. Um, so we did a pre-show, I remember we did like an hour and a half pre-show and that was purely like comedians singing songs with a band. (laughs) Um, so, and, and he and Amy Mann and, and maybe a couple other people sang backups for, for like everyone. So like Sarah Silverman sang Hungry Heart. (laughs) Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I remember that. And then, and then he actually did do, um, the very last one we ever did, which was at a bigger place at the Ricardo Montalban, which is about 1,800 seats, he came and did a song there. So that was really wow. nice. Oh, nice. And that pre-show one, does any video or audio exist of that? That sounds incredible. No. Man. No, we didn't. T- I Maybe maybe we videoed it, but but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't remember because I never was in charge of the videos or anything right, like that. But right. I, So I doubt, mm. I doubt there was a video of it. Wow. Oh, man. If there was, that'd be incredible. I'm sure the lineup was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Aside from just Al being there, which is already incredible. No, it was, I mean, and, and these shows, by the way, they started at eight at night and would go until eight in the morning. <laughs> man. So oh, wow. they, they were overnight sleepovers is, is what we called them. Um, so people would be, the first one I remember we started at like eight, 30 at night and and just we were going to go as long as we could and i remember it and it wrapped up around 6 30 in the morning and people were like i can't believe it and so then it just became a challenge for us each right. time so i think that particular one the pre-show was like 7 to 8 30 and then the real show was 8 30 p.m to 8 30 a.m insanity and people stayed i feel like i would have to stay if oh I, yeah yeah no people people I, you'd always see some people like dozing every once in a while, you know, but <laughs> it was great. I mean, people were like amped to do it. You know, it's just like that. that's what I really loved about that period of time in comedy uh, from like 2005 to 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. It was really just like I was trying to do stuff that no one else would do, right? As as the producer of this weekly show at the UCB and at MBAR before then. So it was really 2002 through like 2009. So for, for Halloween, we would um, make the entire building that the theater was in a, a Halloween maze that people had to walk through in order to get to their seats, you know? <laughs> so a haunted Halloween maze with like cool. Matt Besser being a crazy scientist with brains in his hand, like yelling at people. And I remember like each time, each time I would bring it to Susan, who's Susan Hale, who's a friend of mine who was like sort of in charge. Um, 
I would bring her this idea of like, hey, I'm thinking of uh, making a big Halloween maze. She'd always go like, oh, no, I don't think we could do that. And then <laughs> cut to uh, a month later, <laughs> it's it's happening. And then each year gets bigger and bigger and bigger after that. You know, it's just it was the same thing with the all night shows. It's like, oh, no, I don't think. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. And of course, you know, they become huge. I, 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 it was just so much. It was a really fun time to be to be doing comedy in LA. It sounds so cool. Yeah. I feel like we got to, you know, we, we've covered so little, but covered so much at the same time. But um, I would love to briefly, before we get back to Al, just take a, a detour into Mr. Show. I guess keeping on the Al topic, did you have anything to do with Daffy Mel Yinkle Yankle? Were you? <laughs> for the Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I had I guess I had something to do with it. It 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 kind of that I, I I must not have had a lot to do with it because I can because it was my first comedy job. I have a lot of the experiences there like seared into my brain of the important ones. You know, like yeah. the important yeah. sketches that I had a lot to do with. I do remember that was around when I started feeling kind of comfortable on the job, and so I remember pitching on it certainly, where it was like, hey, what are the versions of um superstar machine? superstar machine yeah. right yeah what are the what are the different versions of it around the world that we could see and i remember <laughs> i i don't even know if it was me pitching i i do remember the meeting though when when it was being pitched and and everyone thinking he was really funny t- for for a weird out excuse me character to do <laughs> a parody and someone said like well it's got to be food right like we have to turn it into food so it became sushi bar and a sushi bar machine um i would imagine al would have even been in it but i don't think any of us knew him at the time so and mr show we didn't really like do a ton of celebrity cameos as themselves so yeah. um i don't think anyone even bothered to reach out to al but i bet he would have been into it if if he were around i know he would have saw uh, he he would have seen it because he watches any any mention of him he will track down and (laughs) and find and and put it into a montage right what are some of your favorite or most important sketches from mr show i'm just curious um the i mean the ones that i i i had a lot of involved like for for my packet that i wrote to get hired I wrote Taint, um, and that was written. That was supposed to be for David and Bob. Bob was supposed to play the part that I played. Okay. Um, and then Bob wanted to direct the sketch instead, and I think he also was like tired of being naked in sketches. So, um, so he said, "Hey, why don't you play it?" So that was nice. Um, so I wrote that for my packet. Um, I had the Monk Academy sketch is one that I Classic. wrote. <laughs> um, the Warning on Money was one that I remember I wrote. Like Brian Posehn and I were were in the in the pitch meeting. We both talked about it, and then he went out to lunch or something, and I wrote it while he was at lunch, and he was really upset when he got back because he was like, "We were going to do this together," and <laughs> I was like, "Oh, we can do the rewrite together." I just wanted to get started on it, and then we read it in the room and they were like no notes (laughs) so brian never got to to work on it i did a lot of stuff on um everest which was uh i feel like that's the the that's the one that everyone like thinks of if you think of one sketch from mr show i feel like that's the one that i always hear people mention yeah so the process of that was that happened to jay johnson at a party i think and i think it was a i think it was a 
rolling drink cart originally, <laughs> like when it happened to him in real life. I think he like was talking, leaned back on what turned out to be a rolling drink cart, which then like scooted out of the way and crashed into something and everything fell out. And then he went to it and picked everything, apologized, went and picked everything up, got it all set back up again, and then got so into his next story that he leaned back and did it again, and it happened one more time. <laughs> so oh, man. <laughs> everyone thought that was that was a really funny story that he told, and so he kept trying to, to turn it into a sketch. And I remember um, the sketch was always just like, I think it was Thimbles at the time, but it, it just was it happening twice, and no one could quite figure out what was going on. I remember Dino Samatopoulos and I looking at each other at the same time and saying like, this should not happen twice. This should happen like 12 times. (laughs) Um, Brilliant. (laughs) And I was really inspired by a particular Norm MacDonald SNL sketch where he played Charles Kuralt and he was reading letters that he would get from people. And he would say, this letter comes to us from, you know, Boise, Idaho. And then he just read where letters were coming from for like, it felt like five minutes, just like names of cities. And I remember loving that sketch on SNL. So I was I was saying like, it should be like that, where we can't believe that it's happening so many times. So they kind of gave it to me and I, <laughs> I, I did a rewrite where it happened this many times. And and the other thing that I was really fascinated with was in comedy, what usually happens is you do, when you're, when you have a recurring bit, you do the first one for a certain amount of length of time. You do the second one, a little shorter, you do the third one shortest, and then you know, you're out. It's the rule of threes. Right. And so I remember being very adamant that it should go, Long, medium, short, medium, long, <laughs> two shorts, medium. <laughs> like, keep tricking you into thinking it was done. And and Bob and David and Jay, to their credit, I remember Jay being very confused by it, but and but everyone just going, okay, okay, we agree. And then I, I also remember... There was a when we actually filmed it, there was a big temptation to escalate the performance. To 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 the other fear when you have the rule of threes is like the first time it happens, second time it gets a little bigger, third time it's shorter but it's even bigger, you know, and and more things knocked down and stuff like that. I was like, no, 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 it's got to be exactly the same fall every time. <laughs> like Jay kept because he's such a natural performer. Jay kept like escalating the fall and doing like making them bigger and bigger as we went. I was like, no, 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 make them exactly the same. It's the length that is, is important. Um, and I, maybe I was too didactic about that because there are some funny things in the sketch of like Bob going, no, make him do it himself and stuff. That was all improv. (laughs) Um, Yes. And me kind of going like, huh, I don't know. Like, th- this is more of a time joke. But um, anyway, so I had a lot to do with that one. I-, I mean, by the end of it, I had a lot to do with, like, a lot of the sketches. I just loved being there and loved, like, talking about stuff. And, you know, Bob and David were such incredible bosses as well. And, oh, you know, imagine. not oh, only God. the most gifted, like, comedic performers, but they would go write sketches together that <laughs> and come back with them and they'd be like, 
oh, okay, this this sketch about uh, car wash change thieves that we when you pitched it, we all assumed it'd be like a two and a half minute sketch. You've turned it into a seven minute opus that's <laughs> genius all the way through. Okay, well, you guys can do anything, I guess. You know, it was it was a really great time. Wow. <laughs> I, w- I wish we could just talk about Mr. Show for hours and hours, but I feel like we got to cover some more Al stuff. Yeah. I want to make sure we do get to talk about Comedy Bang Bang, the TV show, where, of, uh, especially season five, where you had Weird Al as your band leader. Can you tell us? I mean, we know Reggie Watts started, then Kid Cudi came in, and then after season four, Kid Cudi left, and you had Weird Al. Can you tell us a little bit about why you reached, how you reached out to Weird Al, and was Weird Al your first choice? Yeah. So the the TV show we did 110 episodes, and I think Reggie did the first 10, 30. 50 he did the first the plan was to do for him to do the first 60 in season four i remember he was getting pretty antsy and so we reached out and said hey you can do all season four by the way was 40 episodes long it was it was a 15 month commitment you know and so we were like hey you can do the whole 40 if you want but you can also just do 10 and we'll find another band leader you know um and so he opted for the 10 Um, and so that particular season to replace Reggie, we did a major like hunt, uh, with auditions and all sorts of stuff. Um, so I auditioned a ton of musicians, um, some of whom I don't even want to say because they probably don't want it out there that like, Oh, I auditioned for this thing I didn't get, you know, (laughs) I think that's kind of impolite, but some, some people have talked about it. Like the band yacht really wanted to do it. And they were like, Oh, we gave a terrible audition. And I, I said, no, it was more like you guys wanted all four of you wanted to do it. (laughs) I couldn't figure out how to fit you on the set. Um, But um, so so that was weirdly enough that was going to be Joanna Newsom. She was going to be Reggie's replacement hmm. for starting with um, episode oh. sixty one, and um, we were really excited about it. But then as it approached, she she was also in the middle of like recording her last record, which is this genius record. And she was going to go out on tour and all this kind of stuff. And she started feeling like, oh, I would really only want to do this for like 10 episodes, which we had 30 that we had to do. So then I was like, what if you did 20? And she couldn't commit to 20 because I was like, I can maybe get Reggie to do 10 more if you can do 20. And she couldn't do 20. And so it was a bummer because she she loved the show. And, you know, um, her husband, Andy, is is a good friend of mine as well. And I got to know her through the sure. whole, like, audition process and everything. And, and okay. she's so cool. And so that was a bummer. I, in the meantime, I got Reggie to, to commit to 10 more episodes because I was like, Joanna just dropped out. Please, please, please do 10 more episodes <laughs> while we look for someone else. Um, and in that um 10 episodes we uh kid cuddy was one of the couch guests and we we thought he was so cool and had such a good time um doing that episode with him we extended the offer for him to be the band leader without you know auditioning or anything and he he accepted and so he was great so that was a really difficult process um and then cuddy was gonna do more 
he was going to do season five. I remember at the wrap party of season four, he said, Hey man, he, he was so, he saw the episodes put together and he was so happy with them mm-hmm. that he was like, I'm definitely doing next season. Yeah. Um, and that was the last time I ever heard from him. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, no, he, to, to be serious, he was having some troubles, which he talks about. Um, and so he sort of dropped off um, the face of the earth a little bit, but, um, and I'm so happy that he um, got everything together and, and came out on the other side from it in a really good place. Um, that said, I, I remember the day where Dave Kneebone at Absolutely Productions called me up and said like, yeah, Cuddy's manager says he's not going to do it. He can't get a hold of him. And me sitting there going like, oh boy, what do I do? <laughs> do I, like, <laughs> do I do the auditioning thing again? We're, we have 20 more episodes to go. I think I knew it, it was going to be the last season. You did, okay. I think so. I can't remember. Um, because he, even up to the end, we were still angling like, well, we could maybe do a season six. Um. But I remember just it popping in my head of like, man, Al is so much fun to work with. And 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 I, I wouldn't have the sort of like learning curve that maybe Kid Cudi had of like a non-comedy person right. figuring out their role on the show. You know, and Cudi was great, um, but it but it is a steep learning curve because the shooting schedule is so packed. You just got to do so much stuff. Um, and I was like, man, I love... Al is so professional and so lovely to work with. If he were to just do it, it would it would save me so much energy of trying of what I just went through trying to find someone. But he would never do right. it, right? So like I remember I got on the on the internet and I looked up like Al's tour schedule. Um and just like not even knowing if he was out on the road or whatever. And I saw that he had two more dates on his schedule. Um, And then his tour was done. And I went, this might, like, (laughs) his tour's ending right now. I mean, if ever he would do it, maybe he would do it now. So I I intentionally, like, um, waited until two days after his tour ended (laughs) because I wanted to give him a day to, like, decompress (laughs) (laughs) before I emailed him and i don't even remember if i emailed him saying i need a band leader or i emailed him like hey can we meet for lunch i have something i want to ask you i don't remember but we did meet for lunch i bet i emailed him about the band leader and that's why he came to the lunch um and it was a vegan place i can't remember the name but i i i think what happened is is i just talked him through what the process was Mm -hmm. and what would be expected of him because at that point he'd been on every season. He had been a couch guest the first season. He was a couch guest the third season. And I think he cameoed in the second in the, in the waiter sketch. Um, so he'd been someone, you know, he'd been a friend of the show who'd been on mm-hmm. very supportive of it. And anytime I said, Hey, can you do such and such? He would always say yes immediately. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like crazy for, for him to agree to do this super low budget, dumb little comedy show that, that no one watches and no one ever watched. (laughs) Um, but he just loved the show and he, he had a good time working on it. And so he, I believe that he 
told me he he called Jay, his manager, and said, "Hey, I really want to do this. Um, let's make this happen." And then it just it it wasn't as I recall, it wasn't a difficult negotiation of any type of like you know money or it was pretty much us going like, "This is what you know Reggie got paid." Yeah, what do you think? You know, and him him saying, "Okay." Um, uh, that may not be true. Who knows? Maybe he got <laughs> millions of dollars more than me, and I just don't know it. Um, but um, no, it was it, it was so. I, I remember he he within I feel twenty four hours said yes, and I remember IFC the network my my executive who was in charge of it Christine um, the day we found out Cuddy wasn't gonna come back her saying like well what do we do? Do you want to do auditions or anything? I said, give me 24 hours. I think I have an idea. And then 24 hours, me writing to her going, Weird Al Yankovic is going to do it. And she was like, what? <laughs> she couldn't believe it came together that quickly, but it was just such a, wow. it, it was, it, it just really felt like a lifeline and felt like, oh my God, now I can relax. And honestly, it truly was. I mean, this was the fifth season the the and and the third fourth and fifth all ran together where we never had a break in between them so literally we wrapped season three on a friday and we had already started writing season four while we were shooting season three so just came back you know monday and continued writing and then season four went for 15 months and we we technically took a little break for two weeks while we, we all wrote the Emmys and for Andy Samberg and, and, you know, uh, uh, were there on set and everything and, and produced it. And so technically we were writing season five while we were writing the Emmys. Like part of our day was writing the Emmys and part of our day was writing season four and doing read throughs of the scripts and stuff. Um, so we had like two weeks where we just did the Emmys. And then I think, we started shooting, that was September, and I remember we started shooting in October. So wow. it truly was like, it was three, if not three and a half years of me working on this show and on the weekends editing and me just going like, <laughs> if I have to, sorry to <laughs> curse, um, if I have <laughs> to go through this band leader situation again, I'm going to. I don't know that I can do this season. It was and and to to have to have him agree to do it, and then once he actually did it, be so great to work with. Um, it just made season five a joy, and where I could relax and um have a good time. And so uh, you know, really, season five, even though like we're at our wits' end and maybe burnt out, <laughs> um, I just my memories of it are, wow, that was such a good time and, and no drama and um, just really enjoying and laughing, laughing a lot. I think it's incredible how fast that came together because, you know, Al, was he wasn't in the writing room, was he? He was more just doing the songs and... No, he, he really, really trusted us to do the writing. He, he wanted to do the show because he loved the writing and he loved the writers. And so we, we with everyone, we would bring them in and say like, hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? And they would say, you know, like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't remember anyone ever saying like, no, I don't want to do that kind of thing. But it was more of like, well, what if I did this? And, and there were certain things that were in the show that were always like, hey, is this a Scott thing or is this uh, an Al thing? Or is this a Scott thing or a Reggie thing, you know? 
sketch wise, you know, mm-hmm. and that was the same as being on Mr. Show. It was always like, is this a Bob character or a David <laughs> character? And what's what's funny about them is, is like they both can play either one's characters. <laughs> so it was always a tough decision yeah. of like, well, I can see Bob being great of it. And I can see David being great at it, so I, I don't really know who to give it to. But um, but with certain things, it was always like, it, it was such a relief to be able to say, like, for me to say, for instance, with the uh, the the soap opera episode, the Weird Sal, yes. um, episode. Yeah, it was. I remember that being written originally because we were writing before. Uh, you know, everything started, that was going to be Kid Cuddy and Sid Cuddy. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, but it was such a relief, like at a certain point, it's like, oh, okay, Scott, this is going to be you. Um, so you're going to, like the soap opera episode, you're going to carry, you know. And it just being such a relief when Al got cast and agreed to do it to be able to be like, oh, good, we, can, you know, I don't have to do everything now. We can give away the soap opera episode. Oh man, Al would be so good at that, doing the soap opera guy and and putting on a fake mustache and playing evil and oh, that's gonna be awesome. And and the aforementioned real food sketch, like oh, good, I don't have to do that anymore, and we can give it to Al. It it just became like a real fun thing to to chop up the the season like that and go like, give this to Al, give this to Al, give this to Al. You know. <laughs> It was really great. And he was so good in absolutely everything. Yeah. He wasn't involved in the writing um, of the sketches. The one thing he did do that he really wanted to do was he wanted to tailor unique entrance songs for every single couch guest. Um, And so he would write a unique song that had their name in it and and he sang right to them and everything, which was was really fun. the process, the, the entrance song processes were so different. I mean, Reggie would would improv it in the moment. Um, Cuddy had like pre-planned beats for the most part, but then later in the season he ran out because there's just so many that you need to do that he um, then he would take five minutes and like program a beat and just sort of like build and layer something, you know? And oh, then wow. Al worked on it beforehand um, at his house and wrote these songs and they were like these polished, you know, really funny things. And the only bummer that happened was the process of doing that show was, was you would always go out to celebrities to be a couch guest and then you would get a ton of no's and a, and a few yeses. And then when you got a yes, you would say, okay, which episode would they be really good on? Um, and, and it was always shifting based on their schedule as well. You know, like scheduling was the worst part of that show because everything's changing last minute and you're constantly rebuilding the schedule. So Malin, Malin Ackerman, um, was going to be in a different episode where she actually like entered and sat down on the couch. Um, and Al wrote a really funny song that I remember it going like, Ackerman meet Ackerman, Ackerman meet Ackerman. Um, and it was it was really good. And then because of scheduling, we had to move her out into the Haley Joel Osment spinoff episode, right. which you never see the you never see the right. person enter onto the couch. So he had to scrap that song and write a new one for whoever went into the episode she was supposed to be in. But I that that song has stuck in my head ever since then. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, 
Al would just do, he would do, he would write all those songs, you know, beforehand. So that's, that's the kind of writing he would do on the show. Wow. Do you think there is ever a possibility in the world that we would ever get to hear clean cuts of those songs or, or anything like that? I, I wonder if he recorded them. I mean, you know, we have the versions that he actually did, um, on, and I wonder if that's a, a, an extra that at the end of season five, I remember I paid a lot of money, honestly, to have editors put together a lot of like DVD or Blu-ray extras um, in case we ever put anything out. Um, so there's a ton of stuff that we put together, um, including like the Upside Down episode. We did a right side up version of it that you can watch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and all sorts of like we did so much stuff and we put it together so there that might be an extra that we have is just like a super cut of all of his entrance things i'm mm-hmm. not really cool. sure but uh, but as far as like clean versions of it he might have the demos that he right. recorded if he recorded demos for it instead of just writing it i don't know hmm. Hmm. and so is there a possibility we will see a season five dvd or is that just out of the question at this point? Well, there was never even a season four DVD. That was that was the issue. Was there was a, a a company that put out season one, two, and three, and then the the order for season four became forty episodes, and they were like, uh, "Can we just do a best of season four? And I remember saying, "Like, sure, the best of is the first ten episodes." Like, <laughs> like basically saying, "Like, no, I want them all out," and and them saying, "Like, we're not putting them out anymore." Um, and so then I remember calling up another company, which will remain nameless, um, in order to pitch them a complete series DVD set. And I got on the phone with them and, and their first thing was like, so yeah, we were looking at your numbers, uh, from the previous company. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this isn't something we would do. Um, like your sales are pretty bad. And I said, well, why Why do we have this phone call scheduled? You could have just told me that. And he goes, <laughs> he goes well, I don't know. I get an opportunity to talk to Scott Ackerman. I mean, oh, I'm going to take it. Right? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, it was I'm so like, mad. <laughs> I, I was so mad. And I said, bye. <laughs> and I, like, slammed down the phone. <laughs> um, but... Um, now that enough time has passed, I would really like to do like a high def Blu-ray or something like that with sure. a with a code for uh, a download code and all that kind of stuff because I have so many extras. I really would like to do some sort of like maybe crowdfunding part of it because finding a company to do it might be an issue. Mm. Um, but if we got enough people to commit to doing it, but I don't know how any of that works. Right. So I'm, and I have so many projects going that it's like, I, I, but I really want to do it. So if anyone out there can help me, please help me. <laughs> get in touch with us. We'll get you in touch with Scott. A, a huge reason that we wanted to have you on the podcast is because you just launched Comedy Bang Bang World. I, first, I would love for you to tell us about Comedy Bang Bang World, but could the TV show live there somehow? Or is that a rights issue? It, it definitely is a rights issue. I don't, I don't technically own the rights to the shows. And I remember... Um, inquiring about it after we wrapped um and my agent like sort of calculating and going like okay blah 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 yeah i mean probably they would give you the rights back for i think it was three and a half million dollars or something like (laughs) that and i was like Mm. uh i mean because they spend you know 
even though they made it, I, I know for a fact that they made every, all their money back because I found out that they were licensing them to Netflix at a higher price per episode than our budget. Oh, wow. So, so they, oh. and that's why they ordered so many episodes. I remember them going wow. like, can you, can you make 40 this year? And me going <laughs> in my mind going, are we a hit? <laughs> um, and like, you want 40? Uh, sure. And then me finding out later, it was because they were making money by just having <laughs> licensing them to Netflix. Right. Yeah. And they love the wow. show. So I, you know, whatever, but, but so I know they made all their money back, but it is just kind of like a big investment to try to get them to just give you the rights to the entire show, you know? So, sure. uh, but I don't know. I mean, you know, right now it's just over on AMC plus or whatever. And occasionally it's on that other thing, Pluto TV. So who knows what they would license it for or something. But it, as far as comedy bang bang world goes, this is just a podcast thing. If people don't know, um, you know, I mentioned the radio show earlier, but basically I've been doing the comedy bang bang podcast for 12 years and I, it started as a radio show, and then I started a podcast company where how did this get made, and um, the Sklar brothers, and me, and uh, Tig Notaro, and Howard Kramer, we, we were like the first shows. Um, we did this podcast company called Earwolf, which, um, a f you know, maybe six years later or something, we sold. Um, mm. And so... Since then, I've been doing doing the show, and it's been going really well, and it's very popular still, which is very gratifying. But um, during the pandemic, I started um, doing this show with a friend of mine, Sean Diston, who's on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast a lot, um, where we were talking about um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and going through movie by movie. And we were just doing it for his Patreon, and, and it was super fun to do. And I was like, it, it kind of like re-energized me creatively in a way, going like, man, I wish I could do more stuff like this, um, especially during the pandemic, because I have so much time. Um, so that's where the planning started for it. So what it is, is it's it's a, if people know what Patreon is, it's like that, but it's, it's a subscription um, service, podcast service where people can sign up um, for a certain amount per month or they can buy it for the year. And um, we have a regular schedule of what they'll get. So they'll get ad-free uh, Comedy Bang Bang episodes that come out every week, but they'll also get the entire archive of the 700 and whatever number of episodes that we have. Um, but we also have new shows that are coming out every week. So we have a regular schedule where um, Andy Daly, if people know who that is, uh, does a weekly show of whatever he wants to do. Um, I do a movie show with Sean every Friday where we talk about a movie that I haven't seen before and, and I guess and try to try to figure out what it might might be about or what I know about it. And then we watch it and talk about it. Oh, that sounds awesome. And then we're doing... Then we're doing also these things called CBB Presents, which is characters who are on the show hosting their own shows, oh, which will wow. come out sporadically. Um, and then, but also the cool part about it is like ideas are coming to me all the time, sort of like the early days of Earwolf, where it's like, oh, oh, well, what if I did this kind of show? And what if I did this kind of show? Um and people are really excited, like, hey, what if you did another season of Mike Detective, which is in a very early podcast that I did? 
Um, and so I'm getting ideas about this all the time and the freedom to just like put something out that's maybe one episode or just like comes out as a surprise to subscribers mm -hmm. is very creatively invigorating in a way of like, oh, oh man, oh, people would like this. So we're going to be doing stuff like that and, and just dropping stuff every once in a while as well. Um, so that's, that's, what's been really cool about it. And, um, you know, I, I think we're putting out a lot of content for each month, um, for the money that people pay and I'm, and everyone who does a show is getting paid really well. And so I think it's, it's really fun. It's been really great. And, and this month, uh, we've just been getting started and kind of like ramping up production on everything, but people are really happy with the content and we have a lot of subscribers. So it's been really great. That's so awesome. And people can go to it at, um, cbbworld.com or comedybangbangworld.com. Yeah. And there's two tiers and lots of really great information on the website. Uh, that just sounds incredible. So congratulations on launching that. We can obviously still listen to Comedy Bang Bang. Even if we aren't on Comedy Bang Bang World, we can check you out on Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. I think people can find you pretty easily online. Yeah, I mean, you know, be like that guy at the DVD company and just, you know, schedule a phone call with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I'm dumb enough to, to go call people who just want to talk to me, so... <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. Scott, thank you so much for joining us and talking about Weird Al and Comedy Bang Bang and Mr. Show. This was so awesome. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for, for, for being fans and having such a great podcast. And um, hello to Al. I know he's listening because someone's talking about him. So, um, you know, hi, Al. I look forward to seeing you. A huge big thank you to Snot Tissue Man. I mean, Scott Aukerman for joining us on the podcast this week. Oh, there was so much more I wish we could have covered with Scott Dave. I still have so many things to ask him about Mr. Show and, and Comedy Bang Bang. And I wish we could have talked to him about our friend John Katz, who not only worked on Comedy Bang Bang, he was even in a few episodes with him and Weird Al. Oh, yeah. John and I, we go way far back. He's definitely on our list of people to chat with at some point over the next 1,869 episodes. You know, I don't know why, but when you mentioned that thing you just mentioned, it reminded me of something. Oh, really? And what was that? Well, and, and sorry, David Grant, but I have a bone to pick with you. You have a bone to pick with David Grant? Yes. Well, I guess technically it's not a bone, it's a fossil. He said he'd help me pick out a fossil to give to Dan Hurd, the prospector. He's this guy on YouTube. I, I, I really like watching his videos. Well, that rocks. Hey, speaking of David Grant... Did you know that he's not only an author and storyteller and white comedy rapper, he's also a blogger? A blogger? You don't say! Where can I read this blog of his? Oh, excuse me. Not just blog. Blogs. Plural. Blogs. You are kidding me! I am not. I would not kid with you about this. Head over to wolfandwool.com and you can read his personal blog and his business blog. Well, Dave, don't mind me if I head right on over to wolfandwool.com and then follow at SEB underscore SHEP on TikTok. Ooh, that noise means we have a message on the 347 Spatula Hotline. The 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Out podcast, is sponsored by Angel Valenzuela and David Cash, two amazing Weird Out fans and longtime podcast supporters. All right, Frank, it's time to play the message. 
Hey, Dave and Ethan, it's your pal Dana B. I just want to say I've been absolutely loving the time travel interview footage that you've done with Al. And on that note, I actually had a client uh, this past week from the upstate New York area who had been to Troy and eaten that burrito burrito. For those who don't know, I'm a hairstylist by day, and uh, I love connecting with my clients. So naturally, I recommended this client that he listen to your podcast, and I really hope he does. Um, on that note, another bucket list item for me, aside from meeting Al, is for him to know my name. So Al, if you're listening to this podcast, this is Dana B., and I hope we can meet again in person someday soon. Stay weird. Wow, Dana, I can't believe you had a client from upstate New York, which is where I'm from, and they've also eaten at Burrito Burrito, which is where I've eaten. Yes, thank you, Dana, for recommending our podcast to your client as well. And I know that Dana has recommended our podcast to a lot of their clients. It is so awesome to have such great support. Thank you so much, Dana B. Well, if it's good enough for Dana's client, it's good enough for us. This week's episode is brought to you in part by vegan burrito restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped in a quesadilla Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger in Albany, New York. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito, or hop on over to Wizard Burger for mouth-watering, loaded, dare I say, beefy vegan burgers. From Troy to Albany to Uranus, Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger feed the hungry with out-of-this-world plant-based real food always vegan style. Visit burritosquared.com and wizardburger.com to order ahead. Oh, hey, that sounds like we have another message on the 347 Spatula Hotline. Well, what are you waiting for, Frank? Play the message. Hi, Dave. Hi, Ethan. It's Jackson Scoggins, time traveler extraordinaire, guest of episode 69 and episode 420. Uh, I want to make sure that you guys got my package. Uh, I was on a recent time travel mission. I, I, I couldn't uh, wait to listen to the episode 2000, so delivered it um, to Frank's inbox. Uh, I hope it went through. I, I'm currently stuck back at episode 24. It's uh, pretty good. Anyway, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Jackson, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy time-traveling schedule to leave us a message. And... I don't know. I, I, I didn't see any kind of package. Did you see a package, Dave? No, I definitely have not seen any package. Yet one more thing, our intern Frank screws up. Darn it, Frank! Well, Jackson, hopefully one day you'll make it back to the present times. But meanwhile, enjoy episode 24-inch, you know, the definitive top five songs off of Weird Al's UHF original motion picture soundtrack and other stuff, as determined by Dave, myself, and Jeff Nucera, a.k.a. UH Jeff. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota a beautiful, it's also time to celebrate. Did you know that today marks one whole year of Discover Darwin ads? Wow, now that is pretty stinking majestic. Now, in that time, we have tirelessly promoted the businesses and attractions of Darwin, Minnesota, and have done our part to trash the name of the neighboring community, Dassel, Minnesota. Yuck, I, I can't even stand hearing the word Dassel. And I don't care that Josh Johnson, the mayor of Darwin, Minnesota, told us that there's no beef between the two cities. Oh, I don't care either, and 
between you and me, Dave, I have to assume that the bovine population of both of those towns certainly outweigh that of the human population, but it's none of my business. Well, since you and I have not yet visited Darwin, Minnesota, there are 52 full weeks worth of ads talking about what we could do there in addition to visiting the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota, of course. What would be your first visit, Ethan? Well, as soon as I eventually get to Darwin, Minnesota, I'm definitely going to visit the restrooms. Then I'd probably stop over to Perennial Bank and open a checking account. Well, that is a great idea. But what if it's a Sunday? Well, if it's a Sunday, I'd still go to Perennial Bank and then I'd wait until they open on Monday. Yeah, but what if Monday is a bank holiday? Oh, well, then I'd go to Hanson Storage and Parking and Steel Buildings. Now that is a great choice. Well, Dave, what about you? What will you do first when you eventually go to Darwin, Minnesota? You know, to be completely honest, I'm just excited to visit Darwin, Minnesota so I can leave and then finally visit DiscoverDarwin.biz. Wait, 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 wait. You don't have to visit Darwin before you visit DiscoverDarwin.biz. Well, yeah, sure you do. Don't you listen to our podcast? Well, no. Well, each week we say, and after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to visit DiscoverDarwin.biz. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you can't also visit DiscoverDarwin.biz before you visit. I mean, it's a tourism website after all. You know, that does make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Thanks for filling me in on that. You're welcome. So visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next expedition. Discover Darwin, more than just the twine ball. And after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to visit discoverdarwin.biz. Or you can be like me and you can go to discoverdarwin.biz right now. Trust us, it's worth a visit. Each week, we're able to bring you our podcast absolutely free thanks to our sponsors, Burrito Burrito, Discover Darwin, Jackson Scoggins, David Granite, WolfandWool.com, and Angel Valenzuela and David Cash. And thank you to our amazing close personal friend Patreon supporters, Jared, Jake, Javier, UH Jeff, Zeb, Allison, Scott, Blair, Adriana, Frank from the Bank, and Kenneth. And thanks to JM and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our family-friendly weekly Weird Al podcast, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash 2000inch or by picking up some pretty stinking majestic official Dave and Ethan's 2000inch Weird Al podcast merchandise. And to celebrate the one-year anniversary you gotta pick out some awesome t-shirts and more from our newest product line discover darwin head over to shop.2000inch.com grab your copies of black and white and weird all over and check out our special bonus episode book series where author john bermuda schwartz walks us through his book page by page and picture by picture. Our no good intern Frank tells us that he will resume posting the bonus episodes shortly. But meanwhile, you can listen up through bonus episode eight centimeter on our Patreon page. All of our Patreon family gets to hear every single bonus episode early. And don't you forget it. All right, Bermuda time for a drum roll, please. Congratulations to the Weird Al-tober Patreon raffle winner, Frank from the Bank Sanchez! Frank from the Bank wins a super cool Weird Al-related prize for Al-tober, 
a three-inch limited edition vinyl single of Weird Al's cover of Beat on the Brat from our personal collection. If you want to get in on the November Patreon raffle, along with all the other great perks of being in our Patreon family, be sure to join this month at patreon.com slash 2000inch. Or you can just continue to being a cheapskate. We love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans, including the cheapskates. Join our Facebook community for free and post about Weird Al by visiting group.2000inch.com. And we also love it when we receive voicemail via our official 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline, 347 Spatula. You might even hear your message on a future episode. For everything about our podcast, including incredible past episodes and guests, be sure to visit weirdalpodcast.com or 2000inch.com. And to keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events, try following at 2000inch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you for subscribing and leaving reviews on your favorite podcast app. Thank you once again to our guest, Mav Sweaterman. Uh... I mean, Scott Aukerman. Also, thank you to Dana B., Jackson Scoggins, John Bermuda Schwartz, and Dice Equilibrium. Thank you to the Grammy Award-winning Jim Kimo West for our incredible podcast theme song, and thank you to Weird Al Yankovic, as this podcast probably would not exist without him. And a big thanks to all of you, our listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters and sponsors, and everyone else who makes our podcast possible. Thank you for listening to Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, and always remember to gill and chill. Now it's time for This Week in What Did Intern Frank Screw Up This Time Related News. Ugh, can you believe that our intern Frank messed up yet again for a third week in a row? Oh, I can. Dave, tell us, what horrible thing did Frank do this time? Well, you know how we told Frank not to touch the thermostat while we were away in sunny Los Angeles? Yeah, of course. We turned it down right before the trip so to not increase our heating bill while we were gone. So get this. Frank pushed the thermostat up to 27 degrees. Yikes! 27 degrees Celsius? That's like 80 degrees Fahrenheit! That's, oh, that's like 300.15 degrees Kelvin, Dave. No, not 27 degrees Celsius. 27 degrees Fahrenheit! A.K.A. negative 2.8 degrees Celsius or 270.37 degrees Kelvin. And you know what else that no good idiot screwed up? What else? He forgot to water our collection of 62 Weird Al Chia Pets that we set up for Weird Al's birthday the other week. Oh no! Not the Chia Pets! And you know what else he screwed up? Oh. Well, he either forgot or will forget to give us our package from time traveler extraordinaire Jackson Scoggins. Gosh darn it, Frank. But that's not all. He also put the This Week in What Did Intern Frank Screw Up This Time Related News segment at the end of the episode in an effort to bury all of his mistakes. That no good, good for nothing, worthless pile of festering dogs. That was Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast, episode 131 Inch. Hey, Al, we're auditioning band leaders. Oh, I was going to say that's cool, and I realized that it wasn't. Bye!